If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome on this fifth Sunday of Lent from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, You are welcome here. Let us bow our heads together. We need you to get a message to Jesus, Holy One. We need him to lace up those sandals and get back here. It's an emergency. We need him to help some folks come correct. People are down here banning drag shows, books, pronouns, privacy, history, sex education, and civil rights. But don't talk to them about guns because they aren't about to ban anything that actually traumatizes or kills children. If Jesus is unavailable, perhaps you might consider rapturing just a select group. We could pitch it as a VIP event to those who are already considering themselves to be holier than the rest of us. We suggest starting with the partisan moderates, the ones who keep telling us they have to vote just like the extremists or they won't get elected, which they tell us would be worse. It's it's hard to tell. (sighs) We know, Holy One, we know. We know, we know, we know, we know. We know. We are to be angry, but do not sin. We know you have counseled us. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. The wise will inherit honor, but the stubborn fools disgrace. And we are trying, but it is getting harder and harder not to return an eye for an eye. Be with us as we stay committed to overcoming evil with good. Holy One, strengthen our hearts that we might not grow weary. Help us to speak only of what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear, as the text says. But in the meantime, we would still like for you to consider our earlier suggestions. We pray in the name of our teacher, Jesus, who showed us how to resist 
with love. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Only verses 1 through 14, y'all. Woo! The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. God said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Oh, Lord God, only you know. Then God said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as the Lord commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude then the Lord said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. A few weeks ago, we read the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus and their conversation at the well, and we noticed that although that story does have a strong female lead, its place in the lectionary on the second Sunday of Women's History Month had absolutely nothing to do with celebrating Women's History Month. You will remember that the Revised Common Lectionary is the three-year cycle of scriptures that moves us through the liturgical seasons and the whole of scripture itself. It is used most often as a guide for preachers, but it can also be used by anyone who would like some suggestions on working through most of the text. The scripture selection today confirms that the lectionary does not care about Women's History Month. Otherwise, we would definitely not be reading out of the book of Ezekiel as we close out these 31 days of honoring women's achievements. There are none, zero, zip, nada strong female leads in this book. 
Quite the opposite, in fact. Most of the women in Ezekiel are described as prostitutes and horrible people. And what is done to them is the worst one can imagine. As theologian Jacqueline E. Lapsley notes in the Women's Bible Commentary, many women may rightly not want to read Ezekiel. He is difficult to read at the best of times, and some have even called him a purveyor of pornography and a misogynist. The evidence for these charges consists of sexually explicit imagery in several chapters of the book, with some of it violently abusive of women. Some have wondered why the book is retained in the canon of scripture at all. There are few, if any, positive portraits of women in the book to mitigate these serious charges. One might argue that Ezekiel is exactly the kind of obscene material State Superintendent of Education Ryan Walters (laughs) is so worried about protecting our children from. He has, after all, proposed a rule change that would penalize the accreditation status of an individual school or district as a whole if it is found to have library materials deemed to be pornographic or excessively sexualized. Can you believe school librarians, well, all librarians for that matter, have been letting children have unfettered access to books like the Bible all this time? As I have noted before, this congregation has an unusually high percentage of librarians in our membership. They have some things to say about this proposed rule, as well as the other legislation that is snaking its way through the process, one in particular that would require both school and public libraries to organize books differently than the way certified school librarians already arrange their collections using well-established systems. But what does this have to do with the passage we actually read from? Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, which has a long and rich interpretive history and doesn't include any of the problematic violence and misogyny this preacher has been ranting about for the last two and a half minutes. It's really only been that long. In some ways, it could be argued that the lectionary actually censors parts of the Bible already because those parts of Ezekiel are never suggested to be read from the pulpit. Only if the preacher goes rogue do they ever see the light of Sunday morning. But pretending as if challenging texts do not exist or that they can't be handled in helpful, life-giving ways is itself problematic whether or not the book happens to be in the Bible or not. While it's difficult to read these kinds of biblical passages, there are socio-historical explanations behind them. Scholar Nancy Bowen has used trauma theory to help better understand the writings of Ezekiel and how the context of war, exile, and disruption and the identifiable traumatic effects of such events on populations may explain certain features of this book that are not otherwise explicable. While Nancy Bowen certainly does not dismiss the problematic rhetoric in these chapters and its effects on real women, she uses the analogy of rap music as another way of thinking about it. For some, rap music is brutal, 
But Bowen points out that the music simply reflects the ugliness and brutality of a social world of violence, poverty, and racism. Thus, rap is an important form of truth-telling. Likewise, Ezekiel's language of violence and rape is telling the truth about his world in which assault and violation are part of the usual experience of the powerless, which is, at this point, Israel's experience. In attempting to avoid passages that are explicit and terrifying by leaving them off the reading list, the lectionary also denies readers the full context of the rest of the story, which might make passages like we read today easier to understand. Those passages explain how we come to find Ezekiel wandering around in a valley of dry bones. If we were to read those other parts, we might have a deeper appreciation for the unspeakable loss, devastation, and ruin. And we would know that this one grim scene, which we read today, is a summation of all that has transpired since Ezekiel first prophesied to Israel on behalf of God until now. Things were so bad, it was as if Ezekiel was in a valley of bones. Note that this is not a graveyard. It is not a cemetery mowed and trimmed, tended to in perpetual care. There are no neat, straight rows of headstones or grave markers with carefully chosen epitaphs etched with eternity in mind. This is not a place where people have left flowers and mementos indicating that the deceased have not been forgotten. This is not a place for quiet tears or cherished memories. This is a valley of dry bones, which is to say that it is a place utterly devoid of life, totally bereft of love, and completely bankrupt of hope. If hope had ever been there, it had long since dried up and blown away. In the middle of this scene, after Ezekiel has been led around the Valley of Bones, where there is nothing to see on the horizon but more bones, God has the audacity to ask Ezekiel, mortal, can these bones live? Ezekiel is so worn out that he can't even be salty in his response. He is so exhausted, so worn and weary, so overwhelmed with the visual representation of how badly he has failed at getting his people to course correct, to avoid heartache and death, that all he has in him is a shrug of his shoulders and only God knows. I really love Ezekiel for this. There is nothing that annoys me more in the Bible stories than people who are really going through it and somehow managing to look on the bright side. Like, where are the glass half-empty characters? Come sit by me. <laughs> I'm with my colleague, Reverend Danielle Schroyer, who confesses, we are facing a world of climate emergency, 
war, a continuously growing immigration crisis, a terrifying surge in hate groups, rising global fascism, technological overload, and, in case we forgot, an endemic. If God personally came to my door and asked me if this world was going to make it, most days I'd probably say, nope. I'm not even sure our country is going to make it. How will we not fracture under all of this pressure, all of this collective anxiety wreaking havoc on every institution and system we have? The good news, Reverend Scheuer continues, is that God doesn't seem as interested in that question. The question God has for Ezekiel is entirely different. Can these bones live? God does not ask if it's likely. God does not ask if the forecast looks promising. God does not ask for percentages or odds. And best of all, God does not say, do you know how you're going to get out of this? This question, can these bones live, is not a question of probability, but of possibility. What God wants to know is, can you see past the rubbish, the damage, the crisis, the violence, the signs of decay? And can you imagine that life still lingers here? Do you dare to believe and even trust that the power of life does not ever go underground in such a way that God cannot revive it? Very few things seem more ridiculous than hope these days. It quite often feels like there are too many lies, too many half-truths, too much spin, too much grief and hate floating around for the life we imagine to be possible. When we read this story, it, it would be reasonable to assume that it was time for Ezekiel to hang up his shoes. This valley of bones was a terrible reminder of what seemed like his prophetic failure. After all, he'd been prophesying to Israel for many years, trying to get them to turn around, to repent, to do things differently, to avoid this fate. Ezekiel has worked and labored, and all, it seems, has been for naught. Ezekiel does not, or perhaps cannot, muster the wherewithal to say, yes, these bones can live. But if Ezekiel has lost all hope, God has not. God commands Ezekiel in verse 4, prophesy to these bones, which frankly makes it seem as if God has not been paying attention at all for a very long time. To Ezekiel's credit, he does not say, yo, earth to God, I'm about to have a gap in my resume because no one is going to hire me as a prophet with this track record. I don't know who you think you're dealing with, but look around. Instead, in a remarkable response to God's audacious request, Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. It's impossible to tell if Ezekiel is rolling his eyes or is genuinely into it. It seems to me that Ezekiel is an example of someone who has decided to fake it until they can make it. 
which I consider to be another way of saying that Ezekiel was faithful. Or as the prophet Wendell Berry phrased it, we must trust where we cannot know and await the wayward coming grace. Or as we say around here, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. If we are certain, then no trust, no faith is required. This is the big theological question for us, just as it was for Ezekiel. Will we trust that life is always possible in God? Will we find hope and even faith when we are sitting in the valley of dry bones and literal death? Will we, when treatment is postponed, when we cannot catch a break, when the kids won't stop bickering, when we keep getting passed over for that job, that position, that opportunity, when the bullies seem to win again, when the consequences of our actions have caught up with us, when all that is going on around us and within us make it seem as though we are standing in a valley of dry bones, will we rest in the sure and certain hope that love will see us through? The text tells us that when Ezekiel prophesies the first time, the bones come together with a great rattling and quaking as sinew, flesh, and skin come on to the bones. But notice that Ezekiel does not get excited. Ezekiel does not transform into polypositive. The bones have been reassembled, sinews and flesh had come upon them, which seems like a pretty exceptional turn of events. But Ezekiel's like, wah, wah. And with all the enthusiasm of a can of corn, Ezekiel notes that reconstitution of the bones and the skin, that's all fine and good, but there's no breath in them. And then God gently reminds Ezekiel that practice does not make perfect. Practice makes progress. Prophesy again, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to full, abundant life. And so we are prompted to think ourselves, where, church, is fear and cynicism holding us back? Where can we find glimmers of hope even in the valley of bones? Can that relationship live? Can that dream live? Can that plan live? Can our commitment to equality and access live? Can our dedication to heaven come to earth live? Can our faith live? We need to prophesy to the bones around us about doing the things that make for peace if the lion is to eventually lay down with the lamb and we'll need to keep prophesying. Practice makes progress. We need to prophesy to the bones around us about the gender transcendent nature of God if our transgender beloveds are to go, be known as fearfully and wonderfully made. And we'll need to keep prophesying about it. Practice makes progress. 
We need to prophesy to the bones around us about climate change and our role as stewards of the only world we know and about what will happen if we do not take seriously our responsibilities to till and to keep it. And we'll need to keep prophesying. Practice makes progress. We need to prophesy to the bones around us about beating swords into plowshares if we are ever going to move the needle on gun sense in America. And we'll need to keep prophesying about it. Practice makes progress. We need to prophesy to the bones around us, crying out to God in our grief and our frustration and our worry and our loss as a sign that we are people of the resurrection, that we trust that the worst thing is never the last thing, and we'll need to keep prophesying. Practice makes progress. Practice makes progress, so don't give up now. This is just the moment when God needs us to tell the truth. This is just when God needs us to love big. This is just when God needs us to be faithful. This is when God needs us to prophesy and to keep prophesying until the breath of life comes sweeping down the plains just as it did in that valley of bones. Practice makes progress. Let's get to it. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.